Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, there was city council drama in both Seattle and Burien, both involving the region's homeless population. Washingtonians have a tough pill to swallow as pharmacies in the state are closing at an alarming rate, leaving a hole in neighborhood ecosystems. And the new Mariners uniforms might draw more people to the games for all the wrong reasons. Seattle Now afternoon host Paige Browning and KUOW reporter Casey Martin are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. The state's largest labor union has endorsed the push for Democrats to vote uncommitted in the primary. UFCW 3000 represents 50,000 food and grocery workers. Applications are open for the second round of Tacoma's Guaranteed Income Program. Families can apply to receive $500 a month for 12 months to supplement their incomes and stabilize their financial situations. And if you're headed downtown, be on the lookout for superheroes. Emerald City Comic Con is underway and runs until Sunday. That's it for now. Be sure to come back later for afternoon headlines with Paige Browning. It's Friday again. Man, I hope your weekend starts soon. Paige Browning is here. Anchor, reporter, host of the afternoon episode of Seattle Now. Hey, Paige. Hey, Trish. Casey Martin is here, too. He's a reporter at KUOW. Always good to see you, Casey. Hey, good to be here. Thank you. All right, you two. Before we dive in here, we need to talk about the Mariners' new uniforms. Lots of fans are very disappointed in the quality and the new look. Spring training is in full swing, and photos of players are making the rounds. The pants are see-through. The lettering on the jerseys is small, And things are screen printed rather than stitched, which just makes the whole thing look a lot cheaper. These uniforms are made by sports apparel company Fanatics, and apparently they've been in development since 2018. I have thoughts, but I would like yours first. Casey? Uh, I think these are great. I think they're great for the, 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 the desert heat, obviously. They look very breathable. They look very breathable, I'll say that. I think it's funny that I think this time last year uh, in Major League Baseball, there was a lot of controversy and discussion about some changes to the game. Uh, A pitch clock for pitchers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bases are a little bit bigger, so people can steal easier. Uh, There's no more shift, and so it's more of a traditional outfield. And like these were like some big debates of like, what is baseball? What is the game? And this year it's like, can we just get them some good pants? Can we just get them (laughs) pants? Can we get the boys some pants? Just get them some pants. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of funny that they seem um, it's like obviously, you know, Nike and Fanatics and Major League Baseball, they have a lot of money. So it's kind of surprising to see that they really, really fumbled this job. Uh, but I think, you know, they should sell them off. They could, you know, make a lot of money. Oh, these are game worn yeah. spring training. You might not be able to wear these, but if you want if you need some cheesecloth. You know, this could be some <laughs> Shohei Otani cheesecloth. Just an idea. And these are limited edition. Very, very limited. limited edition. You know, yep. okay, I, of course Casey has all the, the right jokes here. I had a hard time having fun with this one. I just felt cynical. Mm. I'm like, 
can we just get back to the sport? And also, I'm like, yeah, of course. Everything is fast fashion now. Even the baseball pants, which are supposed to be so thick that you can slide into slide yes. into home and they hold up. Even we we can't even have that now. It's all fast fashion. So I, I'm just feeling cynical. Like, come on, man. But I, I I do feel as a sports watcher, jerseys are not cheap. So if I mm. go to a WNBA game and I'm trying the jersey on and it's see through, that's not going to happen for me. So they got to fix it. It could bring some yeah. new fans for different reasons. But sure, maybe to, to, maybe to the Mariners games, but uh, <laughs> all publicity is good publicity yeah, exactly. in some some yeah. areas. Page, you would think baseball being the huge money maker that it is, that they would want their players to look professional, right? Mm-hmm. These uniforms do not look pro. Give yep. those Mariners some pants. Anyway, I hope they don't tear. Good luck with the seams, guys. <laughs> Moving on. There was drama in the Seattle City Council chambers this week. Protesters on behalf of asylum seekers in Tukwila interrupted a council meeting Tuesday. Things got heated. People got arrested. Briefly, the protesters want council members to find more money to provide emergency housing for hundreds of people who right now are in hotels or sleeping in tents outside a church in Tukwila. Council President Sarah Nelson on the record, not a fan of this line of questioning for the council, uh, decided to keep the public comment period to the legally allotted time, which is 20 minutes, which is rare for the council when there are people waiting to make comments. Mm -hmm. Things escalated after the protesters, according to Seattle Times, started chanting and Council President Sarah Nelson called security to clear the room. Council went into recess. When the council returned, the protesters continued outside the chamber, and they were banging on the windows. And in the end, six of the protesters were arrested for criminal trespassing. They were released Wednesday morning. We don't know whether or not they'll be charged. But I think we should talk about this because all three of us are well aware of how animated city council meetings, especially in the city of Seattle, can get Mm -hmm. during public comment periods and when the issues are important to people. Council President Sarah Nelson seems like she is trying to set the tone here in her first days as council president. I open it to the floor. Yeah, I, I, I know Casey will have a lot to say about this because he's he's been in those chambers a lot reporting. Um, but the tone setting is exactly where my mind went, Trish. So I, I covered City Hall for a few years for KUOW, and I am having a hard time remembering an instance where police were called. Mm-hmm. Security, Same. yes, absolutely. Security has been called to try to quell protests. Recesses have been called. Council meetings have been adjourned. Having a really hard time remembering them saying to the group, I feel threatened or scared and, and calling police in. I was trying to jog it back and, and watch some old footage of mm-hmm. uh, council meetings that have been disrupted because there have been many, many disruptions. And again, having a hard time finding one where police was involved. There was an instance during the block the bunker protests. This was oh, like yeah. eight years ago yeah. where protesters were physically pushed out by security and Council President Bruce Harrell at the time, mayor now, um, was involved in that little scuffle. That's happened. And there have been multiple instances of 
of the council just continuing their business, speaking over, you know, roaring chants and protests. This was pretty stunning to not allow for more than the allotted public testimony, I think, really fueled this crowd. Yeah, absolutely. It it definitely feels like this. uh, There's a new sheriff in town kind of feeling and. Uh, and absolutely, we, we hear that kind of tone from the rest of the council as well, definitely following in suit of President, Council President Sarah Nelson, council members expressing that they, they feel threatened by, by you know, people who are there protesting. And Paige is, Paige is right. It was really, really surprising to see that level of, of response, uh, security and police. And it was also a little ironic to limit public comment. Usually public comment gets extended uh, to allow everybody who is signed up, whether it's Zoom or in person, uh, just kind of in the good faith that these are public city council chambers and that these are all uh, taxpaying voting (laughs) constituents of the city of Seattle that are there to have their concerns voiced. And to to limit that is really what seems like it tipped uh, the emotions over. It's really that kind of exacerbated the situation. And I really wonder, you know, if President Sarah Nelson is thinking about how the day might have uh, taken a different course if she had extended public comment, if people were able to feel like they were heard at least. Uh, But I think that you're really kind of inviting protest if you're telling people, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm a paid public official, but I'm not going to listen to you right now. Mm. Um, I think you're only inviting protest for sure. She did not want to have this conversation. She said it herself. This is something the county, state, and federal leaders need to be in on. She was not going to have this. It was pretty obvious. That being said, like you said, Casey, District 5 Councilmember Kathy Moore said she felt unsafe here. This is a pretty inexperienced council. It is intense to be yelled at by people who are emotionally charged by the you know, there's a lot going on in those chambers. As, as Paige has mentioned before, it, when when Mayor Bruce Harrell was president of the council, I, I saw him. He was, uh, you know, he held court and he was able to kind of talk back to some protesters. And I've seen him kick in, individual people out before or he had mm-hmm. to uh, silence yeah. people for about a year that, you know, they had to have like a, um, a certain amount of time that, you know, before they were allowed to come back into the chambers. Yeah. But. You know, Alex Zimmerman like, used to show up and routinely call all the council members yeah. Nazis. Yeah. And he got exactly. to do that at every public comment period. The yeah. good old days. You know, that's what council's <laughs> about, baby. It's city, it's city Hall. It's a party. And it's yeah. like, I, I wonder what city council members signed up for. It's like if maybe they've never been to a city city council meeting. But it's like, this is the job. This is what you signed up for. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, I, I don't know how much of this is them being new council members. Certainly an element of it. But they were put in the hot seat. And, you know, I can't pretend to know what it's like to be a council member who's sitting up there at, at the dais, at the, you know, the front of the room. You can't take with, the heat, get with, off the dais. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, people banging on the windows and yelling. I understand that is a very escalated situation compared to the normal council business. Um, but what's striking me is former councils seem to have had more relationships within the activist community, council members who would show up to protest themselves, who would bring protests in front of City Hall, who were involved yeah. in labor movements. Teresa Mosqueda used to be very involved in, in local labor. So I, I wonder if that's an element where some of these council members, they just don't have that experience, possibly, of being in these you know really high intensity environments. And, and it freaked them out. 
Good point, Paige. Well, it is obviously a new level of tension brewing down at the council. Important to point out that the city has allocated some money for emergency housing for the asylum seekers the protesters were talking about. Still touches on a larger issue, though, that we have talked about a lot. Homelessness and these kinds of affordable housing and government issues are regional. Seattle plays a big part here in finding these solutions. And across the board, it seems, people are struggling to come to a place of understanding. In Burien, where being homeless is effectively Mm. illegal between the hours of 7 p.m. and 6 a.m., Burien City Council member Linda Akey was caught on video confronting a group of people who were homeless in front of Burien Town Square condos. Did you see this video? She was recorded here saying, I live here. You do not belong here. You are trespassing right now. And that she wanted them all gone by 6 a.m. The council's gotten a lot of flack for how it's handled this situation with unsheltered people in Burien. What did you think about that video? I think it can be a very unsettling video if uh, seeing this. I I think that Councilmember Aiki, in a very threatening, intimidating tone of letting unhoused people know, I have authority and you do not, is, is what she said. And the tenor and tone that's just kind of been growing in Burien, uh, they recently had an election where one of the council members who was a vocal advocate for the unhoused community, she lost her seat. Somebody else who was running for city council, who was also a vocal advocate for the homeless community there, she did not win her election. So there's absolutely been a shift on the city council, uh, politically right, where a lot of people on the council um, say that the homelessness population in Burien is not their problem, that it's uh, that it's Seattle's problem, that it's King County's problem, mm-hmm. and that the city should not be paying uh, for, for housing or temporary shelter. And uh, so I, I've seen a lot of this anger growing. And so to watch this video is um, disturbing, I would say. Uh, it's it's nighttime. These people are, are sleeping on a sidewalk and she's going to go into a, a uh, an apartment building and, and, you know, with heat and everything. And yeah. to say, I have authority and you do not. Um, but really, it wasn't all that surprising considering the things I've heard from the city council from their, their council chambers. Um, they, there's been a lot of de- dehumanizing language from the city council. They refer to homeless people as zombies or rodents. Uh, they describe the, the uh, unhoused population as an, like an infestation. So... Uh, yeah, I think this is just kind of the trajectory of where the Burian politics are going. You know, I think I would like my elected officials to be a little more nuanced in their approach to humans in their constituency, in their districts, right? Um, this council member backed up her video with more video of people using drugs. And again, I this is where I would like the approach by an elected official to be a little more nuanced when it comes to a very complicated situation where humans are involved beyond a privileged group of people who live in, in, you know, heated homes, who get to make decisions about their lives in meaningful ways. Yeah. Um, And I think maybe the council's job is to come up with a solution that works better than just you just can't be here. Right. Well, because what council member Aki was was saying was factual. You, mm-hmm. They they literally you are can't not allowed to be mm-hmm. there. So yeah. mm-hmm. she wasn't making up the law. She was saying, I'm here enforcing the law. 
Our city has decided you cannot be here. But then to go out there and say those comments, when does she bring it back to the council to look for a bigger solution? What other ways are there that you could be solving this? That's the question for my mind. I'm not seeing a lot of proactive action out of the Burien City Council. It's very much, we, we don't want to see this. We're pretending it doesn't exist. Go away. Right. It's actually the council's job to come up with a plan that works for people. I wonder if it is reaching a fever pitch or a new fever pitch because we have cities saying we don't want it here. There's been opposition to the shelter that opened in Bellevue, Plymouth Housing. Um, And at the same time, we have activists now who are willing to get arrested on behalf of other residents saying we have to house these people. Fine, arrest me. But I need to tell the council we have to find housing. So there's that. And then nearby cities not interested in emergency shelter at the same time. All right. Well, Burien Mayor Kevin Schilling told King 5 he believes Aki and the council need to have a more positive approach to housing solutions, which is okay. Thank you, Mayor Kevin Schilling. Moving on. A record number of Washington state pharmacies shut down last year, according to Seattle Times. The record numbers were driven by a string of, this won't surprise you, Bartell drugs and Rite Aid closures in the Seattle area. More than half of the shuttered businesses were Bartell drugs and thrifty Payless pharmacies that are both owned by Rite Aid. At first glance, it feels wrong, right? A big national chain comes in, buys beloved neighborhood staples like Bartell, and then has to close them due to mismanagement. After less than four years, corporate monopoly... It hurts. It hurts, right? Rite Aid filed for bankruptcy in October. They've been closing unprofitable stores around the same time Amazon announced it's piloting a drone delivery pharmacy system in a couple of smaller college towns. (laughs) I mean, of course this is where we are. It's a bummer. I I think that it's just... For Bartels, I didn't grow up here, but I when I moved here, Bartels was... Everybody went to Bartels. It it, it was just... It was the the corner drugstore. So it, it, it... I don't know. Maybe this is my Seattle is dying moment. But to, lo- to look around <laughs> and not see Bartell's drugs on the corner, you know, at, at so many Very major sad. intersections, it just feels a little weird. Like, oh, it's different. This- and, you know, here in the U District, uh, you know, we had a CVS or I think it was, I'm sorry, a Rite Aid and a Bartell's. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was so easy to go out and grab something. So I really worry for people who don't have access to Amazon drone delivery services, um, just just bopping by the corner drugstore for, you know, a quick script or something. I really worry about uh, just access, people just getting the health care that they need. Now, that is real. I mean, if you depend on prescriptions and for some reason haven't been able to get yourself into the mail order pharmacy, which is mm. a whole other level that insurance companies like you to utilize, right? You are hosed. Yeah. And just think of it dragging your butt out of bed you got the flu you got to go yeah. down to the pharmacy to get something my god ah uh, i mean I, and i'll speak as a parent right those overnight like i i've utilized overnight safe ways but mm. when i needed pharmacy stuff for my kid like real stuff mm-hmm. where am i going now mm-hmm. right you know bartels is just it's one of those brands that i think Seattleites identify with as as home. 
You know, it's like, oh, I got to go, got to go to Bartels. It's like the yep. Dick's hamburgers of pharmacies. It's, it's the local spot. Um, and it feels like we're just getting to that place where when you eventually you need something at the pharmacy, you're going to have to have it delivered or you're going to have to drive across town to a place that is actually open probably during the daytime. So that means rearranging my work schedule to go get whatever I need at the pharmacy. Um, I, I wonder, though, we're in a, a a climate of people wanting stuff right away and delivered. So what mm-hmm. can Rite Aid do? Rite Aid owns Bartels now. What can Rite Aid do to keep open the 44 Bartels that still exist, according to, to Crosscut? 44 in our region. Rite Aid's already closed 20. So the, I don't have the answer. But we keep you seeing know, them close. What what can they do? And we're talking about this like, oh, nostalgia. Oh, moms yeah. need stuff. Pharmacies are actually more than pills. For sure. And I think that's another thing. I've been vaxxed. I got my COVID vaccine at the pharmacy. I talked to my pharmacist about drug interactions. She knows who I am. She knows my family. Right? These yeah. are familiar people who are trusted individuals beyond yeah. the actual service of the pills. And maybe that's what gets lost in these kinds of equations, right? Oh, you're so right. I mean, I, I'm just thinking growing up in Spokane, our little local pharmacy, you know, my mom knew them by name and it would be like, okay, I, I'm a child and she could just go ask them medical questions, you know, skip yeah. the doctor's visit and she'd go, here's what's going on with Paige what do you think I should do? So that's a really good point, Trish. That's that's something we're missing, that connection to an actual medical professional. And Trish, you're so right. I getting all my COVID boosters and flu shots, same thing. I would go into bar, you know, uh, you know, find your shot, you know, find, finding boosters. Um, I got all of mine at the Bartels close to my house. That's closed. And then uh, the Bartels close to work, which is closed. And so you know, I'll very likely probably have to get another COVID booster in the future. And then it's like, oh, man, I, you know, I'll have to like work harder to go find where I'm going to go get my shot because I definitely took it for granted of, oh, yeah, I'll just go to Bartels and it'll be easy. And they said, oh, did you get your flu shot? And they just gave me the flu shot at the same time. Uh, and I just, yeah, it'll be it'll be disappointing that that's that that convenience and that reliability is is going away. Yeah. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but how many people will not get their flu shot because oh, yeah. that <laughs> exactly. corner yeah. pharmacy where they get their flu shot, you know, creature of habit, routine every year is gone. And maybe next year they just skip it. Yeah. I and only got mine because I had my sleeve up and I was like, sure, you know, why not? <laughs> what else you got? Yeah. They got to make it you. easy for Martin, him. get over sure. here. Jab, yeah. jab. All right. Well, we are going to leave it there. Paige Browning is anchor, reporter and host of Seattle Now's afternoon episode. Catch her each weekday. Casey Martin is a reporter here at KUOW. Thanks again, you two. Super fun. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Trish. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now, and extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones and edited by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our production team also includes Claire McGrain, Paige Browning, and Andy Hurst. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you soon. 
Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.